0: As we turn our attention now to God's word read and proclaimed, let us bow for a word of prayer. Let us pray. Breathe on us, breath of God, and blow through this place. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear what your Spirit is saying to your church as we gather this morning. And in our hearing, equip us to obey we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, the Word made flesh. Amen. The Old Testament lesson this morning comes from the book of the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 37, verses 1 through 14. I invite you now to listen for the Word of God. The hand of the Lord came upon me. And he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were very many lying in the valley, and they were very dry. He said to me, Mortal, can these bones live? I answered, O Lord God, you know. that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded, and as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. I looked, and there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, mortal, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood on their feet a vast multitude. Then he said to me, mortal, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are cut off completely. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people. I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you on your own soil. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act, says the Lord. And the New Testament lesson from the lectionary this morning Comes from the book of Acts, chapter 9, verses 36 through 42. Now, in Joppa, there was a disciple whose name was Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. She was devoted to good works and acts of charity. At that time, she became ill and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in a room upstairs. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, who heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him with the request, please come to us without delay. So Peter got up and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the room upstairs. All the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other clothes that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter put all of them outside, and then he knelt down and prayed. He turned to the body and said, Tabitha, get up. Then she opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. Then, calling the saints and the widows, he showed her to be alive. This became known throughout Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In our text in the book of Acts this morning, we meet a wonderful cast of characters Peter, Dorcas, and a group of widows, the disciples of Joppa. And each of these characters serves a distinct yet important function in the resolution of this story. And at some point in each of our lives, we'll find ourselves serving these same functions as we live in community with one another. First, there's Peter, of course, the chief disciple, well known in the community, the one that people call on when they need something. Peter functions as a person with something to give. And then there's Dorcas. She's a servant leader devoted to good works, but she suddenly falls ill and dies. Though once very active and generous, she now finds herself at the end of her rope. Dorcas functions as a person in need of help. And finally, most inconspicuous, but perhaps ultimately most important, there are the disciples of Joppa, a group of widows who facilitate the connection between Peter and Dorcas. They know both about Peter's capacity to heal and about Dorcas's place of need, and so they function as people who bring Dorcas and Peter together. So who do you identify with most from among these characters today? Who do you relate to most readily? You see, sometimes like Peter, we find ourselves with something to give. And sometimes, like Dorcas, we find ourselves with something that we need. And sometimes, like the disciples of Joppa, we can can facilitate the connection of the other two. As the seasons of our lives change, these relatable characters come to embody our own circumstances. There's something that we can learn from each of them. So let's take another close look at how each of them functions in this morning's text. First, we begin with Peter, who by God's grace has made a sort of comeback in the book of Acts. Peter has become a strong leader. But it's been a learning process, of course, for Peter. The Gospels did not end well for him. He fell asleep in Gethsemane, got violent at Jesus' arrest, denied Jesus three times, was a no-show at the crucifixion, and after the resurrection, he went back to fishing, as if nothing had happened. Thankfully, uh, Jesus graciously restores Peter prior to his ascension and allows Peter to reaffirm his love for jesus and upon the arrival of the holy spirit at pentecost peter has emerged as the de facto leader of this fledgling christian movement peter preaches powerfully he confronts authority he heals the sick he even raises the dead as we heard today peter has matured grown into his gifts and emerged as a leader at the height of his powers when we encounter him today. It seems to me that the strongest leaders are those who have managed to learn from their mistakes and have used them as an opportunity to improve. When we live in denial of the darkness that exists within us, it can continue to control us from the shadows. But when we bring our darkness into the light, when we cannot hide our shortcomings anymore, it's then that we can begin to repent and grow and heal. So it has been for Peter. Peter has come to know that sinner and saint exist simultaneously within us at any given time. He understands that the saint within us requires constant nurture, while the sinner within us must always be kept at bay. And with this lesson under his belt, Peter is doing amazing things. Friends, there will surely come a time in each of our lives when we find ourselves flourishing. Let the good times roll. Perhaps a difficult chapter in our lives comes to an end and we emerge with renewed joy or confidence. Maybe we finally achieve a goal and take a deep breath and look back on all that we've accomplished with gratitude. Perhaps our platform gains an audience and we finally feel like we're making a difference and having an impact in the world. Back when I arrived at college, I was nervous about meeting one of my professors. He had once been the pastor of the church where I grew up and he left under dubious circumstances when I was about 13. I wondered if he would remember me if it would be awkward and if I would be able to learn from him knowing all that I did about his past. But after my first class, this professor approached me and asked if I had time to talk. We went to his office and he immediately addressed the elephant in the room. He had made mistakes at my church and it must be weird for me to be in his class. He took remarkable ownership about what had happened, spoke freely about what he had learned, and offered to talk more about it with me anytime, should I feel the need to do so. Then he told me he was in a new chapter and that he was excited I was in his class. And from then on, this professor became one of my closest mentors throughout college. I would not only take all of his classes but I would even lean on him during difficult times. And although he was one of those professors that was as brilliant as anyone you could ever think of, his ownership of his past tethered him to the kind of humility that equipped him to patiently tolerate a college student like me with all my highs and lows and growing pains. You see, when things are going well, when we find ourselves in a land flowing with milk and honey, when we feel like we've been reborn and we're at the top of our game, our task becomes like that of my professor or like that of Peter in our text. Our task is to put to good and faithful use the good fortune that God has blessed us with. When we have something to offer, we should be generous and caring and lest it all go to our head, we should remember that we go but for the grace of God. For it is indeed the grace of God that allows us to flourish and thrive. But however joyous our lives might be, and however productive or caring or generous we may have been in the past, there will come a time in our lives when we're unable to do what we have always done. There will come a time in our lives when we need to receive rather than give. There will come a time in our lives when we find ourselves wholly dependent on others. And so it is for Dorcas in our text today. She had once been the same sort of powerhouse that Peter now is. The text calls her a disciple and declares that she had been devoted to good works and acts of charity. It seems as though Dorcas were the sort of Mother Teresa of her day. And she must have been well known in the region because her death creates quite a stir. Dorcas finds herself in a position of need, a position no one expected her to be in. You know, it's my observation that Sometimes it's hardest for the people who like to give the most to receive the care of others. Have you all noticed this? Sometimes it's the most generous gift givers who are the most reluctant to accept a gift. Sometimes it's those who need to be needed who seem also to need not to be in need. I think I said that right. Of course, we talk plenty in church about the importance of giving ourselves away right and of course we should give our time to caring for others give our talents to good causes give our treasures to those in need certainly this message is fundamental to christian faith but it's only so imperative that we give generously because there are those who also need to receive and sometimes we're the ones who need to receive precisely because others might have something to give us. It could be a meal when we're sick, a favor when we're in a bind, or simply a lesson we might need to learn. This can be particularly challenging in communities like ours, in which most of us have most of what we need most of the time, right? Middle and upper middle class Christians, especially, are vulnerable to adopting an illusion of control over our lives because we don't wonder much about where our provision will come from. We have most of what we need already in hand. But paradoxically, abundance can become an obstacle to Christian faith because the basic premise of Christian faith is that we are a people in need. We're a people in need in need of the grace of God, for we cannot save ourselves. Yet our God, who is merciful and gracious, loves and redeems us and remakes us through Jesus Christ in the power of the Spirit. Before we can give anything meaningful away, we must first receive the grace of Jesus Christ. Our journeys of faith begin in a place of need, Which is a place that we never vacate because faith requires constant receptivity and surrender to god's grace when we're able to recognize that there are times that we need to receive rather than give we can be saved from paternalism saved from thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought as the scripture says we can be saved from thinking that Others need us, but we don't need them. In our text, Dorcas is forced to make a sudden transition from having something to give to having something that she needs. But even in her death, her life of faith has prepared her for this moment. Her life of faith has prepared her for Peter's healing touch. The lesson of Dorcas's life death, and new life, offers a reminder that just as we must give when we are well, so also we must receive when we are not. Just as generosity is a sign of spiritual maturity, so also a willingness to allow ourselves to be cared for is also a sign of spiritual maturity. For how can we truly learn to depend on God if we're unwilling to depend on other people. But Peter's not the only one Dorcas depends on in our text. Her need is first identified by the disciples of Joppa, who connect what Peter has to offer with what Dorcas needs. Upon her death, those who know and love Dorcas send messengers to Peter exhorting him to come at once. And had they not made this connection, Peter never would have known Dorcas had died, and Dorcas, for her part, would still be gone. Sometimes we're blind to what we have to offer, and sometimes we're blind to what we need. This is when the insights of our community can come into play, helping us to connect with others in meaningful relationships. Others can see things in us that we may not see. And others might know people who can help us who we may not know. But this can be a hard role to play for many of us, right? Because sometimes we might feel that we're stepping out of place if we confront someone we love, either to exhort them to give more of themselves or to exhort them to receive the care they need. We might feel like, We're not minding our own business. We might fear some pushback if we keep pushing. I once confronted a friend of mine after he got engaged and told him I didn't think he was ready to get married. Knowing him as well as I did, I had certain concerns about his preparedness for marriage. It was a hard conversation that took me weeks to muster up the courage to initiate. But thankfully, he responded graciously, he got the help he needed, and today he's been married over a decade. Years later, that same friend repeatedly encouraged me to go to counseling during a difficult period in my life. I'd become determined to power through with an iron will, a trap that too many of us fall into. But my friend knew that getting the help I needed would enable me to process my grief and my circumstances. Had he given up pushing me to seek that care, I could have eventually burned out completely. You know, we all need somebody to lean on. Sometimes we get by with a little help from our friends. Those who can recognize who needs help and those who can provide that help Form the connection, the connective tissue within the body of Christ, within the fellowship of the church. We should have the courage and the boldness to facilitate giving and receiving within our communities. So, friends, as we've seen, the characters in our text this morning serve three important functions towards the text's resolution. And at some point in each of our lives, we will find ourselves serving in these same three roles. Sometimes, like Peter, we will have something to give. Sometimes, like Dorcas, we'll have something that we need. And sometimes, like the disciples in Joppa, we can facilitate the connection of the other two. So my prayer for us this morning is that we will learn to lean into each one of these roles knowing that God's grace is abundant in the midst of a community that gives, receives, and connects. Hallelujah, and thanks be to God.